0: Thank you for joining us today. It's always good to study the Word of God with you. Today we're going to study the book of Ephesians. You might be wondering why Ephesians, because we have been studying the entire Bible. We started in Genesis, and then book after book after book, now we've gone as far as the book of Ephesians. Well, let me confess to you up front that I love the book of Ephesians. As we talk about it further, you will see why I personally love that book. First, let me give you some background information about that book. You know, I told you whenever you're studying any book, You want to know basic things as to who wrote the book, who are we writing the book to, when was the book written, why is the book written, and for what purpose. I believe if you have those basic information, you will have a good working knowledge of the book. In addition to that, if you should choose to go back and read the book, it will make it so much easier for you to read. So are you ready to study with me today? Thank you for joining me. Now, the first thing you need to know is about the city of Ephesus. The book Ephesians is named after the the city of Ephesus. That city is by the sea shore. I'm trying to think of a city in America that will help you and me to to relate to that. There are some some cities right by the sea, right by the beach. I know a lot of people, they go to Florida just to, you know what I'm talking about, (laughs) just to chill out on the beach. So this city called Ephesus was a big city. It's full of entertainment. I mean, people ask me all the time, why do people go to Florida? I thought we have some beach here in uh, in Lake Charles. Why not New Orleans? Well, whatever. (laughs) But when you go to Florida, I mean, there's some fun there, let's just admit that. Same thing with Ephesus. Ephesus is a big city full of entertainment. In fact, there's a big pagan temple, Atmos is what they call it. And it's one of the seven wonders of Asia Minor. You probably have heard that term, the seven wonders uh, of Asia Minor. And basically, this temple was one of it. You know what I'm trying to tell you? That city, that community was booming. The economy was booming. The people are very progressive. There's all kinds of pagan worship. There's all kinds of Greek gods. Then it just happened that Apostle Paul, who went on three missionary journeys, On his way back on the second missionary journey, he decided to stop at the city of Ephesus. You know how you and I travel, and you just want to stop by at a city to to check it out. I've done that myself. You know, you're going to New Mexico, and then you you get to Amarillo, Texas, and then you decided to hang out for a while. By the way, that's true about one of my members. She just came back from New Mexico. But guess what? She stopped by at Amarillo, Texas, maybe to do some shopping, maybe to do some sightseeing. Same thing with Paul. Paul was on a second missionary journey. And by the way, when we talk about missionary journey it means that he will make a trip he will go and preach different places and then he'll build a church and set up a new ministry there and then come home so he made at least three major missionary journeys well on the second one when he was coming back home He stopped by the city of Ephesus. And while he was there, he started to do what he does best. He's a preacher. He's excited about the Lord Jesus Christ. So he preached in that pagan city, that that progressive, full of pagan God and entertainment. And amazingly, several people came to the Lord. So as a result, Paul planted a new church in Ephesus. So now you you have a a picture of what's really going on. Not only did he plant that church, he was there, he stayed there for three years. Isn't that something? Isn't it amazing that you just want to stop by somewhere and you ended up staying there for three years? By the way, I can relate to that. Every now and then some of you ask me the question, how you end up in central Louisiana? What makes you come here? Why did you decide to come to central Louisiana? It was purely accidental. Um, My story is very simple. I was going to law school over there in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's called Oral roberts University. Never desired, had no clue. Didn't know much of anything about Louisiana. In fact, to be honest with you, never heard of Louisiana. (laughs) But God, so I was in Tulsa and the law school there was closed down. Brother Robert refused to hire a non-Christian in his law school. It was suppo- It's a Christian law school. So the American Bar Association, I don't know all the details, but to keep things short, they shut down that law school. So all of us students, uh, we have to find another school. Most of my schoolmates, they went to another Christian college called Regent's University, and that's owned by uh, Brother Pat Robertson, another prestigious Christian school. But I have to confess, it was very expensive for me. I was a, a foreign student, I didn't have much money, so I don't have nobody to help me with school fees, and I really did not qualify for student loan. So when all my classmates were moving to Regents University, the question is, where am I gonna go? So that forced me to start shopping all over United States for a cheap school. (laughs) Are you feeling me? It just happened that the cheapest law school in the entire United States was found in a state called Louisiana. I say, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So I applied. And guess what? By the grace of God, I was admitted to Southern University School of Law in Baton Rouge. Well, my friend... That's how I came to Louisiana, purely accidental. And in my mind, I was just going to get my education and get out of here. All right. But you know, the Bible says many are the plans of men, but ultimately God's will is what will prevail. So I finished law school and then I went for what we call a postdoctoral work in Fayetteville, Arkansas, Uh, University of Arkansas, Razorback, hoo, hoo, hoo. (laughs) So anyway, when I finished my postdoctoral work, then reality setting, I have to find me a job, you know? So I was trying to figure out where am I gonna work, where the natural thing for me to do was to return back to Louisiana. Why? Because that's where I went to law school and that's where I graduated from and that's where I'm licensed to practice law. So my game plan was to come down back to Louisiana, start working with the attorney general's office. That was the plan. So I applied. For that job it's in Baton Rouge they have a big office there and to my surprise they said look son you you're qualified to work here we'd like to have you here but there's one problem there's no opening right now sorry but they said if I were you I would just take any state job for now Get in the system, and once you get in that pipeline, whenever there's an opening in the attorney general's office in Baton Rouge, will just make you slide in or make you transfer, it will be an easy transfer for you. So I said, Okay, that's cool. Guess where there was an opening? Pine V. Louisiana, mental health advocacy service. They need a lawyer. So that's how I came into the city of Pineville with the understanding that I'm going to take this job. I'm going to be there for about a few months. It was estimated I'll be there for about six months. And within that six months, they're going to transition me to where I really wanted to be, which is Baton Rouge, Attorney General's office. So I said, cool, I'd be glad to stay in a, in a little town for six months. In fact, when I came in, I didn't even bring my family. I was going to work Monday through Friday, go home for the weekend and all that stuff. Eventually, my wife insisted on in coming to join me, so, which they did, and it's like a miracle when my wife got here she fell in love with Pineville, louisiana she loves central louisiana um, there's a lot of things that she loves about central louisiana she loved the people here uh, it reminds her of the people in africa <laughs> they're very down to earth they're very friendly and, and She loves the food here. She loved the atmosphere. The crime crime rate was very low way back then when we came in. uh, That was 1995, I believe. So guess what? A job became open for me in Baton Rouge to make the transition just like we planned. But my wife said, look, let's just stay here. This is good. So thank God for Miss Elizabeth. She was the one that decided, no, we don't need to move to Baton Rouge. This place is good. So a short stay for about six months turned out to be 20 years on that job. Why am I telling you about this? That's exactly a similar thing that happens to Apostle Paul. He was just going to stop by Ephesus on his way home. But he ended up preaching to the people there, starting a church there, and staying there for three years. In fact, that's the place he stayed longest in all of his trip. Look at God. So he founded this church. And then after three years, he summoned all the elders of the church. He basically told them, look, I have to to leave. I was just passing through. Uh, I'm glad you're doing fine. I'm glad we have a new church here, but I must go home. Then he told them, he but don't panic. You're doing very well. I'm going to send you a new preacher. His name is Timothy. And Timothy is my boy. You can count on him, he will be a good pastor for you. But don't expect me to be back. I'm done, I've done my work. I'm I'm good at preaching, I'm good at planting churches, I'm good at building a new new church. I've done that. Now I have to move on. So it it was a mixed feeling. Some people want him to stay forever, but some people understood that he's moving on, but he's sending somebody, which eventually Timothy did come back to. If you read the first book of Timothy, chapter 1, verse 3, you see exactly how Timothy did, in fact, come to Ephesus to pastor that very church. So, I mean, the Bible is so, so relevant and so easy. The reason why I can talk to you just chilling now with no notes, no paper, is because it makes sense. It's logical, just like I shared my own story with you. So don't see the Bible as some kind of mysterious thing that you got to be deep to understand. No. Is really God using an ordinary man to speak to you. Amazingly, Paul left Ephesus, went home, and after a few years, he got in trouble with the Roman government. So basically, they put him in prison. They, they, They literally put him under house arrest by Rome. So he was stuck. He couldn't travel no more. He couldn't go out and preach. By the way, just for the record, the reason why they put Apostle Paul under house arrest is not because he broke into anybody's home or that he committed some heinous crime. No, he was arrested for preaching the gospel. So now, he's under arrest, couldn't travel. Guess what he did? He decided to start writing letters. He wanted to write letters to all the churches he established in various cities. So he wrote a letter to Philemon. Then he wrote another letter to Ephesus. That letter to Ephesus is what we're discussing today. We call it the book of Ephesians because it's written to the church in Ephesus. He also wrote a letter to Philippians and he wrote a letter to Colossians. In fact, uh, (laughs) to remember those four, four letters, I call it Pepsi. P E P C. (laughs) Every now and then, I've been giving my tricks out to the preachers out there so they know I'm not really a genius. I may look like it, I sound like it. Oh, by by the grace of God, I am a genius. But I'm just saying I'm not all that, you know. I'm everything by the grace of God. You can learn the same trick. So when I want to remember stuff like that, I use acronyms. So PPC, Philemon, Ephesus, Philippians, and Colossians. Those are the four churches that Apostle Paul wrote to while he was in prison. His hands were tired, he couldn't travel, he was on lockdown, all right? So now you see why we have the book of Ephesus. There's another amazing thing I want to tell you before we get into this book. There's a brother by the name uh, Tychurkos. Now, I probably slander the pronunciation of his name, but this brother is important because Paul could not travel. So he sent that letter that we call the book of Ephesians, he sent it through this brother Tychocos to take to the city of Ephesus and give it to the people of that church. I'm sure you are saying, so what's the big deal on that? Can you imagine yourself carrying a letter, just a letter in your hand, and that letter eventually will be read by millions of people, whoa, can you imagine? You're just a messenger, you know, but the paper in your hand will be written and be read 2,000 years later. People are still reading that letter. That makes that brother a very important player So be careful how you handle small assignments. Maybe right now, maybe all you do, your job is just to to cook in the church house, or maybe your job is just to work in the nursery. Maybe you just as a secretary, or maybe you just a photographer or cameraman or camerawoman. In your mind, you may say, oh, no big deal, Who knows that the very work you're doing right now may be the key that will lead to the salvation of hundreds of people or thousands of people. Maybe what you're producing right now, maybe what you're playing on your radio, what you're playing on your television or your live stream, may be something that God will use To prevent somebody from committing suicide. This brother had no clue what God is fixing to do through that paper in his hand. To him, he was just an ordinary messenger carrying a letter from Apostle Paul, who is stalked, couldn't travel, is in prison. And his job in his mind, oh, I just go to Ephesus. Let me go party and have a good time. And while I'm there, just drop off the letter. That letter you drop off has been read by millions of people. Look at God. So please, take your job, take your assignment. Take your role in the kingdom of God very serious. Now the letter was delivered. We finally get to discuss the book. (laughs) I'm sure you say, man, that was a long introduction. (laughs) I feel you, man. But I do want you to have a good picture of what is going on. The letter was delivered to the people. That letter, ladies and gentlemen, is very similar to the letters that Paul have written to other churches. The format is very, very similar. Why am I talking about the format? Because you also, you can write a similar letter. I know we are now in digital age and everybody is just texting and tweeting and and snapshot and all this. Lord, have mercy! <laughs> don't, don't let me flip out before I get started. But you know there is a there is a serious discourse in you, in your heart that you can share. That is much richer than just a quick fix, a quick statement. So you can follow the same format that Paul normally follows. Whenever Paul will write a letter, he will start out by by greetings. He will say, hello uh, mama, or hello daddy, or hello to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Corinth. Just, we call that salutation. Like I'm here in America, Long before we have uh, FaceTime and Facebook and all that, guess how I communicate with my folks in Africa? Just like Apostle Paul. I would take me a piece of paper (laughs) and write them a letter. And guess what? In spite of FaceTime, in spite of social media, I still write them letters. In fact, I remember my wife was there and I would write her love letters. You know what is so funny about it? She's probably watching right now. She'll say, I can't believe that Negro says this. (laughs) But my life is is transparent. You know, today, the job, those letters, my wife kept all those letters. And today... She will read them and sometimes she will share with me, This is what you wrote to me 40, 50 years ago. And you know what is so remarkable? Is that she could look back and see everything that I promised that I would do. 35 years later, of marriage, I did exactly what I'm doing. But supposing you don't have no record of it. No letter, you just tweet it. <laughs> Get in the habit of writing letter, man. There's a word inside of you. I'm telling you, it may be a love message, it may be a letter to your children, so that when, after you are dead and gone, your children can read these things. It could be a guide for them. It could be a blueprint for them. It could be your testimony, letting them know this is what mama did, or this is what daddy did, or these are the mistakes that I made. Don't make the same mistake. You know what I'm trying to tell you, my friend? Life is much deeper than snapshots. Live is much, much richer than just a tweet. I'm telling you, your life is much more rich and powerful than just a little text message. You deep, man. I'm amazed. I was in high school when I was writing to my own wife, when I was writing to my parents. This is what I'm going to do. This way where I'm going with my life. And isn't it a joy? I'm now 62 years old. And to look back and see my, my worldview, my thinking that time, and how I can share this with my children, to let them know I'm just an ordinary man just like you all. I'm just a little boy, but this is how deep a little boy could be. So what's the format? You say, okay, I get it. Now I want to write a letter to. Good for you. (laughs) Here's the format of all Paul's letters. First, he will come up with a salutation. And secondly, then he will follow with thanksgiving. Salutation means just greeting everybody. Thanksgiving means he start thanking God. I thank God for for Bookie. I thank God for my nephew. I thank God for this, I thank God for that. He just goes all all over the map thanking God. Then the next thing is exposition. He will tell you exactly why I'm writing this. This is what I want you to know. You know, I need me a new pair of shoes. Mama, can you get me one? And by the way, I don't like El Chipo. I want a Nike or Adidas or whatever you want. Put it in right. <laughs> That's where you, you discuss the details. And then he will go from there into exhortation. And then he will close the letter. You see the format now? Number one, salutation. Number two, thanksgiving. Number three, expositions. Number four, exhortation. You know what exhortation is? First, let me tell you number five, closing. Yours truly, yours respectively, love always. (laughs) Love you to the moon. You know, you close the letter, amen. Elizabeth, my wife, she never threw any of those letters away. Nah, I I didn't keep any of mine. Don't tell anybody. I mean, I'm too busy trying to. (laughs) But you know, it's just good to write. Exhortation is when you begin to say, okay, greet. Keisha for me. Tell Uncle Riri I say hello. I love you guys. I believe in you. Uh, Tell Auntie Sue uh, I'll come home soon. I'm just here in America for about four years. I graduated in college. You know you told us about family reunion. I may not make it for this year, but the next year I'm coming. See, you just exalt the people before you close your letter. So, believe it or not, every letter written by Paul follows that format. You can write your own letter. Who knows? Your letter might become a serious epistle that will change somebody's life in the future. It may be a letter that will change your children. It may be a letter that will resolve years of hostility. Some people think you are mad at them, but when you're dead and gone, they're gonna have access to everything you wrote, access to your telephone, to whatever. Wouldn't it be nice for them to discover you love everybody, you ain't angry with, at no one, some of them think you're just broke, busted, and disgusted. Wouldn't it be nice for you to put something there and say, "And by the way, the, there's an account with So 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 Bank, and this is the number." Of, and I'll leave you some goodies. And then they discover Mama has a truckload of money. <laughs> It's amazing, I'm doing the same thing, by the way. I'm just not messing with you. There are things that I have that my children have no clue. Even my wife, I bless her, she don't even know yet. So, you know, you get into stock market and you have all these accounts. You get into what we call safe haven. There are countries In the world that you can put money and put savings at. and It's just, even you get into cryptocurrencies, they give you all these secrets. Wouldn't it be nice that you put that, you have a journal, you, you chronologically explain what God is doing in your life every day, every week, every month, every year, that your children can read when you're dead and gone. Or you leave them all these secret accounts and they discover, goodness gracious, why we think that is stingy. The Negro has been preparing a future for us. I hope you get that now. All right, let's talk some Bible more. <laughs> Are you having fun with this? I'm enjoying myself. So, in the book of Ephesians, after he's made the salutation and, and after he, he's basically thank God for them, then it goes into the exposition. And that exposition, the details can be divided into two sections. How many sections did I say? <laughs> Just want to make sure you're still listening. Two sections, chapters one through chapter three, is section one. And chapter four through chapter six is section two. And Apostle Paul spent the first section talking about what we believe is very important to know what we believe. And then the second section is about how you and I should behave Remember those two words, what you believe and how to behave. Believe, behave. Believe, behave. That's the whole book in a nutshell. You'll be amazed how many Christians do not know what we believe. And you'll be amazed how many Christians who profess to be born again, saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, but they have no clue how to behave. Well, let me put it in another way. Maybe this will help somebody. You know, I told you the book is divided into two sections, right? So that first section, chapters 1 through chapter 3, it talks about who we are in him. And then chapter 4 through chapter 6 talks about who we are through him. So in chapter 1 through chapter 3, you will see it over and over again. In him with this, in him with that, in him with this and that, in him, in him, in him. You need to know who you are in Christ, my man. Sister, girl, you listening? (laughs) It's important to know who you are in Christ. By the way, when you know who you are, it will turn you into a monster. It will increase your faith. A lot of things that you're concerned about, you won't be concerned about it anymore. A lot of things that you're worried about, it will not intimidate you. Once you know who you, can you imagine if you're a prince or you're a princess? And you don't even know it. That happens to a young man. Believe it or not, he is the son of Jonathan. And Jonathan in the Bible is a a close friend of David. So Jonathan died. David wants to take care of anybody from Jonathan's house. David was looking for anybody, boy, girl, old, young. And then he heard of this young man. He's actually crippled. There's a story behind how he got crippled, but he is the son of Jonathan. He's a prince, but he don't know it. Guess where he was living? In, in a little town called Lodiba, looking raggedy, eating poorly, living a raggedy life. Whereas he is a prince, somebody entitled to be on the throne. When David sent for him to come and they go and fetch him, he was scared. He thought he's in trouble because the king, the president of the country is seeking him out. But when he got to the palace, David said, sit down at the table, change his clothes, clean him up, give him everything he needs. This guy was confused. Me? Poor old me, raggedy me? But he did not know but for his daddy David would not be king of Israel. You know what I'm trying to tell you? It's important that you know who you are in Christ. It's important that you know who you are in him. That's what the first part, the first section of the book of Ephesians is all about. You need to know, Apostle Paul is is writing to this church, And of course, they were so glad to hear from him. They were so, I mean, they were dancing for joy because this was a pastor who left them and said, I'm gone, I ain't coming back. And all of a sudden, you receive a letter from him? Let me put it in practical sense. It's like Eve, let's suppose Elizabeth and I, my wife, my family, we decided, okay, we're going back to Africa. All right? We say, okay, we've been in America. The Lord has blessed us. We're blessing, and hopefully we'll make the community better. We'll make the world a better place, but we've got to go back to the motherland. All right? And then we say, okay, Keisha, You're gonna be the pastor from now on. So the church is in your hand, we're done. So we left and all of a sudden, years later, you receive a letter from us. Can you imagine the old church, yay, Kunte is back. (laughs) I'm telling you, the Bible is so real, it's so practical. Is so reliable, is so relevant, is so current. So that first three chapter now they're reading it, paying attention. What does a former pastor have to say? And he's telling them what they believe. Don't lose what you believe. He's telling them who they are in Christ he started to explain to them, say, you need to remember that before you met Christ, you were no good. Mm-hmm. See, I put myself in the shoe of those officials. I said, you sure right about it? <laughs> he said, before you all met Christ, you were on your way to hell. I say, are ah, you right again? That sounds like you're talking about me now. He said, you know, you are dead. Even though you're walking around, spiritually, you are dead. I can relate to that. It's not just deficiencies, And I hope that you can relate to that. Because, can I be brutally honest with you? This is just between you and me. Every now and day, I just, I just want you, let's keep it real, you know. Every now and I want to tell you the bottom line. Every human being without Christ is a walking beast. Yes, I said it. <laughs> they're mean, they're hateful, they're evil. It takes Christ to change us, to reform us, to change our thinking to change our heart, to change our behavior. So Paul is saying, you know, before you met Christ, you were going down fast and fast in hurry. I say, yeah, me too, me too. I know what you're saying, Reverend. But he said, thank God for grace. Underline that word. Grace, that's the theme of the book of Ephesians, that the Lord gave you an opportunity. Now you are in Christ. You who was lost, you're no longer dead in sin. You see, in him, you're blessed. Hallelujah. I feel like shouting already. (laughs) That's why I say when you know who you are, it will change your thinking. He said, in him, you are rich. See, that changed me. Because I was a foreign student, you know. F1 visa. Couldn't get a loan. Couldn't work. No relative. No support. And yet, the Bible is telling him, in Christ, I am loaded. I said, man. (laughs) You're a billionaire, you don't matter what anybody says. It changes your thinking. Paul began to say, In him, you're filled with the Holy Ghost. See, these people, they never heard of the Holy Spirit before. They were baptized into the baptism of John the Baptist. All they know is about, you messed up, you repent. You you sin, you ask for forgiveness. But now, by the grace of God, God is not only allowing them to become Christian, but they are filled with the Holy Ghost. Wow. See, I can stop them and preach to you. See, many people are going to church. They are saved They're on their way to heaven. But they're not filled with the Holy Ghost. You know why? Because they don't know who they are in Christ. Many of them don't even think that they can be filled with the Holy Ghost. Many of them don't even think that they can speak in other tongues. Many of them don't think they they think only some extra special people can have these gifts. No. You are in Christ. In Him, you are saved. In Him, you are healed. In him, you're blessed. In him, you're made holy. In him, you're filled with the Holy Ghost. I can go on and on. Oh, I love those three three chapters of the book of Ephesians. Read it. You need to know who you are in Christ. Because if you don't know who you are in Christ, guess what? The world will try to define you. But when you know you are in Christ, ain't nobody can turn you around. Then, by the time he finished chapter 3, Paul got so happy, then he started to praise God about it. You know how I'm just like, I'm reacting now, in him I'm blessed, in him I'm saved, in him I'm healed, in him I'm loaded, in him I'm just going, in him, in him. At some point, You begin to (laughs) rap. You say, I can't believe this. I'm all that plus more. In chapter 3, verse 20, he ended up that first section by saying, By the way, this is my favorite verse. (laughs) He said, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I can ask, all that I can think, according to the power that worketh in me. Who are you talking about? Something big. People ask me all the time, where did you get this boldness? How is it that you talk about the word of God as if you were there when it was written? You cannot read this thing and not be changed. I'll be honest with you. My wife would tell me sometimes, you started to discuss the Bible, it's like I'm looking at a totally different human being. He said, you get so excited about it, you get so passionate about it, and you're so convinced about it, nobody can talk you out of it. (laughs) I said, yes, (laughs) ma'am, you got that one right. (laughs) Can you imagine the Bible telling you, this is not just for me, this is a message for all of us. He said, now. Now means now. Not yesterday, not in the sweet by and by. right now. I can stop there and shout. Unto him who is able. That's another key word that you can shout all day. Do you know that your God is able? Every now and then you ought to ask yourself, "What's he able to do? He is able to heal you when you are sick. He is able to bless you when you are struggling. He is able to make a way out of no way. He is able to raise a bowed-down head. He's able to get you a job." Are you, brother Bible, Listen to me. <laughs> I'm telling you, your God is able. Then the Bible didn't leave you hanging. It tells you exactly what he is able to do. Notice the list. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask, above all that you can think. Whoa. Here I got to tell you something. Can you handle this? (laughs) You see, English is my own second language. You were born speaking English. No, I I wasn't that lucky. I had to learn learn English as a second language. My primary language is Yoruba, you know, like Swahili. (laughs) So when I study English, I pay very close attention to the words. Look at this world of what God is able to do. He's able to do in your life exceedingly. Ooh, I say, shocky, sucky. Somebody talk to me. He say, abundantly. In my neck of the wood where I came from, ain't nothing abundant. I said, my God, my God, I finally hit me a jackpot in God. He said, God can do for me above all that I can think. You feel me? Above all that I can imagine. Then he said, there's a secret to this. It's all according to the power that worketh in me. I feel like shouting right now. Do you know the power that's working in you? That's that resurrection power. It's that Holy Ghost power. That's power from above. You know how Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, You will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Then you can become witnesses. You can shake the foundation of this world. Hallelujah. Can you imagine? This power is in you. I was just like one person. I came to town and shake the whole community. <laughs> what is the secret? It's that same power. And it's in you. It's not just for me. Allow God to use you be a channel of blessing to your generation. You may well be the person that God going to use to change Central Louisiana. That's my prayer for you. You see, that verse was like a transition to the second section of this book. And in the second section, see, the first section tells you What you believe. Now, the second section tells you how to behave. That's very, very important for you and me as a Christian. Jesus, through Apostle Paul, is saying, Look, you know it. The Holy Spirit knows. You used to be a thief before. Hey, don't turn me (laughs) up. He said, now, you don't need to steal no more. I say, hallelujah. The Lord talking to me. He said, you used to be a bad dude before. I say, oh, here, somebody found my page again. <laughs> he said, but now you're in Christ. You don't have to behave like that no more. You don't have to behave like you're a gangster. You don't have to behave like a crook no more. God has come inside of you. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. There's something on you. you, He said you you used to run the streets. You don't have to do that no more. You used to be a a no good. S-O-B. Yes, I said it. He said, now you are in Christ, my friend. You ought to act different. You ought to live different. People ought to see you as in now. Something has happened to Josh. He's talking about how to behave. I can go on and on about this book. You can tell I get excited about the book of visions. But there's some areas that I want to leave you with that he talked about. He talks about how husband should behave towards their wives it talks about how wives should behave towards their husband don't don't turn me off now we will we, we be enjoying this now we're going to finish this <laughs> he talks about how children should behave towards their parents it talks about even how servants should behave towards their masters. I don't know how much time I have left, but I've got to be honest with you. When I think of the book, there's so much revelation in it, blows my mind. Do you know what it says concerning husband? It he says, hey, you husband, love your wife. By what standard? As Jesus loves the church. What's the big deal about Jesus loving the church? See, the church is Jesus' bride. He talks about it so many times. He said, I'm coming back to get my bride. But you know what? Jesus died for his bride, the church. Hey, boo, do you love your wife enough, sacrificially, that every day you put your life on the line for her? You know, many of us who've been acting a fool, instead of loving our wives, we're mean and hateful, and acting stupid. Yes, I said it. Somebody needs to tell the truth and preach this gospel. God give you a wife. God said any man that find a woman, a wife, find a good thing and obtain favor from the Lord, God gave you a source of favor and now you're mean to her and then you're acting a fool. You're abusing her. You won't treat her Hey! Come on now. I'm so glad I'm not God, you know. I'll whoop your behind. <laughs> you got to love your wife, my man. <laughs> you see, you wives submit to your own husband. Oh, Adam lost every sister now. Don't top me up. <laughs> I didn't write the book. I told you who wrote the book. Apostle Paul. And he was commissioned by God. Why would you have problems submitting to your husband? You choose him. I didn't choose your husband for you. <laughs> Get a clue, sister. <laughs> you're the one. I don't know where you're, man. You decided to marry Brother Baba. Now that you make that decision, I respect your choice. You said, I do. And you said, for better, for worse, you're going to be there. For richer, for poorer, you're going to be there. You say you take care of uh, the Negro. Hey, since you make those promises, why not live up to it? So I'm just trying to keep it real. Let's build a family. There's too much dysfunction in Christian home. It shouldn't be like that. Let's build our marriages. Let's build our families. Let's build the members of our family, our children, our grandchildren. Let's come together. Let's not separate from one another. Let's not run away from one another. Yes, I know sister Sue and all that. Welcome to the club. (laughs) Sissy. Help her. Help your wife to be better. Help her to be good. Wives, love your husband. Let's work together to make the world a better place. The number one problem in America today, you know what it is? Broken homes. Broken homes. This book should help you and me, all of us, to do better with our family. He said even you children, obey your parents so you can live long so it shall be well with you. Now if I ask you, do you want to live long? I'm sure you say, hell yeah. (laughs) Because you want to live long. I want to live long. All of us want to live long. Guess what we need to do? We need to honor our parents. We need to be obedient to our parents. And you know something else the Bible is saying? When you honor your parents, it shall be well with you. It's not just about living long. It shall be well with you. I can go on and on. Talks about servants. Obey your master. You know, I'm an employee. You're an employee. Maybe you're an employer. Whatever. Do your best to do your job. That's what it's all about. Thank you for joining me today. You know, I enjoyed talking with you. He closed that book and said the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. If you need prayer, there's a number under the screen. You can dial that number. and There are ministers of the gospel waiting to pray for you. Thank you for joining me. I love you, and I hope to see you next week. Amen.